Welcome to the Meltone Podcast. This is episode 51. I had to look that up real quick. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And this episode has been a bit delayed because, again, I had been on holiday. I'm sorry. So on today's episode, we are just catching a bit up what happened over the last weeks and months where I have been what Tom has done. And of course, tackling topics like uh, the E3D Revo, E3D's new hot end, not called V6, but Revo, uh, what our thought, thoughts are on it, um, what we find good, what we find bad, a bit patent talk because it's like the first product where e3d patented something and yeah just um when it's coming out what the pricing is and everything like that um then i quickly talk about my first product that uh, i have finally launched on amazon my threaded inserts why i did it um what you can expect from it um next prusha talk uh, tom did a well, upgrade live stream on the SL1 with a new screen um, has been a bit more complicated than maybe would have expected in the first place, but still really interesting and what uh, the outcome of that was. Then sticking on the topic of Prusa, Prusa are at Dubai, at the Dubai Expo, um, and they have shown off a new product concept i'm not sure how much of a product it is right now but the prusa professional manufacturing center with 34 printers automated print ejection and all that we talk about what we see for that in the future um a quick follow-up to the last episode i know it's been a while uh, about which slices are compatible with the mars 3 not that many um and then one thing that we Ah, oh, God. That, that we, we and most people aren't really happy about. Uh, the fact that Thingiverse is sneakily replacing affiliate links with their own and taking away revenue from creators. That's, that's just, just not nice. Lastly, we do take one question, um, about one of the topics from last time about the Ukrainian 3D upside down 3D printer and whether a 90 degree bent hardened or a 90 degree rerouted hardened is a good idea and what speaks for or against it. Stefan, where where have you been? I've I've missed talking to you. It's been so long. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it has been a while, and I'm I'm quite sorry that I that we didn't record when we when we visited you. Yeah, where have have I been? So yeah, parental leave for for two months, and within those two months, uh, I I didn't really work that much. Uh, we were. Like a good week on vacation in, in southern Tirol. Uh, then we were like a week home. And then we went on our three and a half week camping trip where uh-huh. we also visited you for a, well, for a short uh, yeah. lunch break. Half, half an afternoon. <laughs> uh, then we came back home and like, Last week, I, and I again was on a ve- wedding in, in Salzburg, which, uh, yeah, was, I don't know, in the end, quite exhausting everything. And I'm quite happy to be back home. Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed the time and everyone who, who, uh, is getting a baby or has small kids should really take some time off and just like, spend really like 24 oh, 7 for a couple of 
days or weeks uh, with their kid because I just I really enjoyed it that much. And I'm I'm quite sure that this is well kind of a unique time where you have really the opportunity to, to be away for such a long time, no work, just concentration on like the family and, and the baby and it was really great still uh it's good to be back home um just like living in a in in a camper for three and a half weeks at some point right. everything is dirty right. you're missing the space you're missing like you i miss my dishwasher so much <laughs> <laughs> Washing dishes two times, two Those times a day. Those little conveniences so that he that he oh, just get used on. to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but hey, yeah. It's, it's something different. You you had the chance. You, you took it. Good for you. Enjoyed it. Glad, yeah, glad and what, it was it was really great. Like visiting you finally, uh, seeing your studio, uh, seeing your two dogs and and everything. So. I I enjoyed it. As I said, I really regretted that uh, I, I we basically didn't have the time to to record something. So you're welcome to sorry, come over it was again anytime. Yeah. So I I will only be working like in my normal job, like for the next time for just uh, two two days a week. So I have more time for once for the family, of course, but then also more time for. Uh, content creation and the channel so i hope to find the time again to to uh, well like get a proper visit uh to your home and studio sure so. sure yeah when, so when, when when i visited you we did some fpv flying i actually just recently got into that as well i got me an, an ishin uh, set of goggles well, set of goggles it's one goggle uh finally some proper antennas and stuff and it's it's fun it's fun already cool. crashed the plane twice uh, <laughs> but thankfully though, those foam wings are, are super robust yeah um, ATP is so nice oh yeah yeah but I still I still want to do that that printer project where I still have a, a where is it it's actually over there on the shelf I've still got a full second kit of that wing I've got a, an S800 um, wing if, if you guys are watching you can google that um, and basically I want to take the center part and just stretch it out like make it 1.5 mm. times or, or twice as wide just to make space for like more batteries more um more electronics like all the fpv gears mm. uh, fpv gear stuff um flight controller all that stuff is like super cramped in there and mm. that could be something that I do with the what's it called the expanding uh, pla from colorfab yeah Yep. They they have expanding PTG now too, don't they? Um, so Colorfab has uh, lightweight PLA. Right, they have lightweight TPU and they have lightweight ASA. I would ASA. not know that they also have okay. PTG. Um, Thinking about it again, though, probably the the lightweight TPU might also be a good option because the the structure of that flying wing is just carbon spars. Um, so it, it doesn't require the foam to be particularly rigid. It's just basically creating an airfoil. That's, that's all that's for. But the, so the thing is with the expanding, um, TPU is that it gets really, really floppy, that it I almost feels like a piece of cloth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I would not really recommend that for structural parts, though everything where, well, which might be like the direct crash location might actually be benefiting from like the foam structure and the dampening structure of, of all of yeah. that. Yeah, so um, maybe just lightweight, the very front, yeah. Yeah. 
Lightweight ASA is pretty cool in my opinion because um, the problem always with, with PLA was it is kind of okay where, where we are living, but if you leave your uh, 3D printed PLA plane in your car in summer, uh, there is a high chance that it gets just yeah. a little bit too hot and that your whole plane deforms. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's it's all carbon spars on the inside. Those are not going to yeah. deform. So, but still, the airfoil shape might not look that good anymore after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, Give it a try. There. Um, I've I've got two spools of the lightweight PLA. Um, yeah. They still need to to be used, but I don't have the the TPU yet. I might still have like two rolls right here. Oh. I'll, I need to see. Um, um, 3D Lab Print, um, who are the guys who really, I, I guess, started the big 3D printing airplane game. They also introduced at the beginning of this year their own, um, how are they calling it? Their own plain 3D printing filament. I guess it's just like an impact right. resistant PLA. Okay. Um, you, you always, well, all right. If if you have carbon spars in there, I guess it, it it doesn't really matter the structural integrity of of the material. But um, for example, three D lab print or Eclipse on airplanes is like a Spanish company who's also doing three um, D printed yeah. airplanes. They often have like two versions of a plane for lightweight PLA and the normal PLA, right. just because yeah. um, many of their planes really depend on the, the the structural integrity of the material yeah but yeah and they they don't have spars in there it's literally the the fuselage that yeah. supports everything and that is yeah. one entire printed part yeah, yeah. so yeah we'll, yeah we'll see we'll see interesting interest and, and just getting out there and flying again is is really good fun yeah um, well i guess the problem is autumn is coming uh harsh winds and everything well you got the, your control board in there. I've got the flight control in there, and, and unless you've got like hurricane style winds, it's <laughs> it's pretty good. Like you can see, you can see like the the leveling kind of shaking on the FPV. You can mm. see it like struggling. And the bigger problem with the wings, of course, is uh, if you stall them, you can't recover um, yeah. because what they end up doing is is what's called a tip stall, um, where if you have your your plane basically you know one wing flies forward and you have the same airspeed roughly over both wings um but once one side kind of stalls and gets too slow you lose airflow and you lose uh, uplift on that side so basically the one side dips down and you go into a death spiral basically where the where the inner wing has no more airflow no more no more uplift the outside one has tons of airspeed. The, you can you can push engine power into that as much as you want, but it, it just spirals quicker. So that's actually what, what crashes those. And maybe with the wider inner section, the wider center section, I can add two small motors instead of one large one. Mm -hmm. And I can do like active, what is it, yaw correction yeah. um, with that. Would also um, remove the need for those little winglet tips that basically stabilize it um, left to right. Thrust vectoring. Is Basically, it, yeah, yeah. would be thrust thrust yeah. vectoring. Yeah, and the flight controller should support that. Yeah, um, running iNav, um, and that does have all the the mixer and the, the PID matrix. Conf ah, there's so much you can do in there, and I've, I feel like I've only scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah, you you gotta dedicate quite quite some time uh, if if you want to really dig deep into that. That's yeah. that's a totally. Well, new hobby and, and rabbit hole that you're opening there. Oh, for sure. I mean, the YouTube channel is just, uh, just about this, this sort of stuff. 
<laughs> of course they are. I mean, why wouldn't they? So. Yeah, so I'm back home. Um, hopefully, I still... Well, there's still some time remaining for, for some hobbies. hobbies. Um, ga gaming, fall and winter is coming. There's some, I guess, pretty nice, nice games coming up that I hope to play over, over the winter. Um, and I hope that just the additional time I have gives me more space for, for family and, and YouTube yeah. work and keeps me away from burning out. But, um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's it's always great if you have been working for quite a while on well just by yourself in your in your cave and then you get to this uh, to this podcast opportunity and finally have a nice conversation again. Yeah. Hey, on the topic of of gaming, um you've played Red Dead Redemption 2, right? Yes. Okay, I've I've not played it yet because it's, uh, so so when when I game it's always with with my buddy. We always play co-op games and I I rarely sit down and play by myself. And I've given up on on like competitive online stuff because there's just way too much salt and when I sit down I just want to have a good time. And Red Dead Redemption 2 does have a full you can play the entire thing co-op, right? Mm. You can just just live join, but so far it's always been it's it's never dipped down below the 60 or 50 bucks and I'm just like, oh. 100 bucks for a first two. Ah. Yeah. Um, but now it looks like you can finally get it for like a decent price. And I might just grab the 3090 out of my editing rig and put it into my gaming system <laughs> to play it on, on the 4K TV. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, it's, it's pretty demanding. But I think they just implemented DLSS. Yeah. DLSS, yeah. Yeah. For Red 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 Super something. That's supposed I, to work really well. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy, I really enjoy multiplayer gaming. Um, especially if you have somebody to, 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 to play with, but, uh, single player experiences are sometimes also just so good. And Red Dead Redemption is, is like one of the best stories and, and well made games out there. Yeah. If you, if you like, like the, the cowboy setting and the wild west setting, Mm, do it if it's, it's well done i mean and and from what i hear it is extremely well done do it um otherwise you haven't played um half-life alex yet you haven't played have the not. old half-life games i have not played the old half-life yet. no but again those are those are single player ones and like i said yeah. I really just i really take the time to just sit down play half-life alex <laughs> okay it's, it's, this is this is truly one of the most impressive gaming experience i ever had um sorry for everyone who's who's here for the 3d printing stuff um <laughs> we, we, we've got uh, catching up to do like you guys wait okay <laughs> uh half-life alex is is the best virtual reality experience there there is full full stop it's All right a real triple a title made for virtual reality it works great it is scary a bit but not like the doom 3 i ship my pants scary at least i had the experience when i played that like the 10 or 15 years back um and yeah. never played it like any further it is just so good of course i'm maybe a bit biased because i like the old half-life games but it's <laughs> it's good <laughs> okay yeah i was actually thinking about selling my my vive because it's just it's been sitting for probably a year okay. unused um so i don't know one last hooray get half like get half-life alex play that and then 
get rid of it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes you need to do other things than just uh, working. And for, for me, also gaming is like a, um, a, a, a thing that gets me to a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> where i don't right. have to like like worry about view counts and and sponsors and things like that uh yeah yeah um no no sponsor of this podcast episode by the way so yeah if you're interested in sponsoring an episode uh, let us know you, you, you've got like contact info in the description do we have some some stuff in there i think so yeah otherwise Probably. just yeah, send we'll, we'll, me an email you'll find us yeah. <laughs> so should we get into some actual 3D printing stuff? Um, that, yes. I mean, it's been four weeks. There's it, it feels like there should be a lot to talk about. But of course, the big one is E3D's... What is the full name? E3D Rapid Change Revo. Um, their new hardened ecosystem. Um, Stefan, you have missed the influencer introduction briefing. to the briefing. Yeah, yeah I missed yeah. it too. Um, but thankfully, Sanjay reached out. Uh, Sanjay from E3D um, reached out and was like, "Hey, Tom, do you want a private tour?" Um, <laughs> and I've known the guys for a while. Like I've uh, we've I've chatted to Sanjay back when they just barely introduced their V4, their first commercial project, and I gave him feedback on that. Um, so I've 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 known the guys for a while, and he walked me through some stuff that probably wasn't all intended for the public. Um, but yeah, E3D Rapid Change Review Review <laughs> Review E3D Rapid Change Revo. Um whole new ecosystem. Whole new thing that is one hundred percent incompatible to the to the old stuff. The only thing that is still compatible is if you get the Revo six that makes it compatible to um the old V6 groove mount. Base well basically puts it in the same shape and length and all that of a v6 yeah. but what they've done is they've gotten rid of the nozzle they've gotten rid of the the heater block they've gotten rid of the heat break and they combined the nozzle and the heat break into one part and then they've got a slide over cartridge the heater core um, with a cylindrical heater a ceramic heater um, that also is just one part that you buy you don't assemble the thermistor and heater cartridge anymore it is literally just one slug that sits over the nozzle and because the nozzle and the heat break are now one part basically there's no thread in that heater core anymore it just slides through and mm. you just thread the nozzle into the heat break directly so basically nozzle swap that's the that's the big thing that's the big point um it's rapid change because you can just unscrew the nozzle it comes out with the heat break and you screw in a new nozzle through the heater core um into the heat break and just hand tighten it there's no hot tightening there's no um no ways that that heat break could leak because it is uh without without giving any giving away any details that i'm not supposed to give away um it is a solid fit inside the brass thread up top and inside the brass nozzle in the bottom. So there's, there's like, it's, it is sealed mechanically and is, it's, it's shut. Like there's, there's no way any filaments coming out of that ever. Um, but of course, it's a completely new design. So any, any M6 nozzles you have, mm -mm, doesn't work anymore. The only thing that's yeah. still compatible is, uh, Hemera. So Revo now uses the Hemera thread. 
um, of like the upper side of the heat break. So you can still screw a Revo heater core and nozzle into an Amera, into an old Amera, and that's still going to work. That is the only point where it's still compatible with everything else. But like the rest of the system, completely new. So I don't, yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> um, I guess it was kind of a logical step going into the direction of a deeper integration, especially taking a look at, at the heater core. Um, I so the 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 thing I don't really know what to think about is the incompatibility with like the typical M6 thread nozzles that yeah. everyone has probably laying around. Um, but everything else, I guess since, well, the Revo 6 is basically the same size and, and length as a V6, I find it kind of nice that, for example, I it can is, take yeah. my old Prusa printers, um, rip the old V6 out and, and put a Revo 6 in there with the benefit of having like a, a smaller heater core, the, the rapid change functionality, and probably also the better performance due to um, the uh, stainless steel tubing they are using for a heat break. Yeah. Um, so all the all the parts in Revo were engineered to be better than V6. So the heat break is more robust. It, it insulates a bit better because it's now a new manufacturing process. Mm. Uh, heating performance is better. Um, like everything's just a bit above of where where V6 performed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, the the problem with the incompatibility with the M6 nozzle is that that's like my biggest pain point right now <coughs> because you can't. Yeah. Well, one of one of the big selling points perhaps for V6 and V6 compatible hardens is you can just you can get a new nozzle everywhere. You can get nozzles in dozens of dozens dozens of different materials, coatings, uh, sizes. You can get them from like I can grab a. Um, a slice engineering nozzle, I can screw that into V6 and it's going to work perfectly. I can grab a V6 compatible nozzle and throw it into an Endo 3 and it's going to work. Um, yeah. Like th 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 the fact that that is such a widely widespread um, and accepted standard and they're now deviating from that, that hmm, it's rough because basically the only, the only one who's supplying those nozzles right now is E3D. And on top of that, because E3D Revo is now the first product they're making that is patented, I don't know if they're ever going to be if there's ever going to be somebody else making Revo nozzles. So this was one of the big questions. So I I haven't seen what exactly E3D patented, and I think it's yeah. it's not, still patent pending. Yeah, they're not pub publishing the details about that until the patent is approved. I guess that's just uh, requirements of the patenting process. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but I'm also I'm also be I, I I don't know what to think about what happens to like yeah third party nozzles and third party accessories if like the whole Revo system is is patented now does that prohibit for example I don't know. Um, or they call it Zodiac or whoever yeah. manufactures nozzle, nozzles. Does that prohibit them now from making a Revo compatible nozzle because the whole system is patented? Or I, as I said, I, I don't know. Or yeah. are they still allowed to do that? And are 
just other third-party manufacturers not allowed to basically manufacture the whole combination between um, the uh, the heatsink, um, then the spring and the the heater core yeah. because. I, as I said, I haven't seen the uh, the patent, and nobody from E3D told me anything about that. And But I guess just from, about it right now, so. just from from looking at it, what I would suspect what is patented is the combination of this um, the spring and the heater core, and the spring is pushing the heater core onto the nozzle, and there is no more I don't know screw in connection between the heater core and um, and the nozzle itself i don't right. know I, I, i guess i would have assumed it would be the, the manufacturing process for um mating the heat break with the nozzle and the thread up top just that used for i i would have assumed that it was that specifically for 3d printing um we we don't But, know it's only speculation okay you, you maybe know more about the the manufacturing I, process but um in the end looking at it it just looks like a a bimetal heat break that for example a slice engineering selling uh, is selling and the difference is that instead of just having a bimetal heat break they are also adding directly the nozzle in there so i don't know if just a patent on the manufacturing process of uh, i have a nozzle that i connect with a, a stainless steel tube to the True. what's the other side called um I don't know um, if that would be the case. Of course, that would totally prohibit anyone from just yeah copying that design and making th third-party accessories. Um, or unless, just like unless of course, E3D goes the high road and says, "Hey, you can license this. You can license our engineering yeah. for a reasonable fee." Yeah, um, and I, so I think this is something that they that they said. The thing that they just, I guess, want to. Yeah, prohibit in the future is that there are cheap clones coming on the market that just take advantage of their um, their development that they made. Yeah, and also even if they are using the name E3D in some way in that uh, in there, uh, um, maybe even uh, um, putting the E3D name to shame if it's if it's not working yeah. in the end. Um, I guess Sanjay has said that. If there are possibility, there might be possibilities of licensing, and this, I guess, would be a possibility that also, um, like currently, a nozzle manufacturer might license the process or might license the compatibility to the review system. But um, the manufacturing process and also the tolerances and everything is quite a bit more complicated than just manufacturing a nozzle out of a special material and with i don't know a special coating so that definitely complicates things and doesn't make it that easy anymore to uh, make compatible things to uh the the, the revo system or yeah. revo ecosystem and also now that you have this additional ecosystem you have to You need to have um, different products compatible with the normal M6 standard, which is compatible to yep. all the like, Ender style stuff and the E3D slice engineering and and whatever ecosystem. So um, yep. it complicates things. 
what what I would have suggested, but I'm, I'm not sure how it's how it would work out from a geometry perspective, is to make like a Revo adapter where you have um, just a, a blank, mm. no, well, not a blank nozzle, but you have the what is typically the Revo nozzle, mm. but it has an M6 M6 female mm. thread at the bottom, and you mm. can just tighten a nozzle into that yeah. um, Revo adapter and use that inside the Revo system. Mm. I made some rough measurements from the the pictures this morning and notice that there is probably not enough space mm. in like above the current nozzle to to fit an m6 thread because i so think it would need to stick out uh, towards the bottom exactly so i i think the the diameter of the inside of the heater core is maybe six to seven millimeters yeah. something like that so <laughs> hey maybe yeah. maybe we can establish yet another standard and make m4 nozzles yeah, less material used, and it should work just fine for 1.75. Um, and Revo, by the way, Revo is only available for one point. Tearing down the microphone, Revo is only available for 1.75. It is not available for three millimeters, and there are no plans to make it available for three millimeters currently, because yeah. it is a dying standard. So, it is a dying standard, and well, to be honest, and I think also as like the frequency ask questions, uh, um, answer that question on the on the E3D website if you are maybe a manufacturer like uh bc and sigma who yeah, is ordering BC3D, we yeah. want to have a thousand or ten thousand of these hot ends of course e3d will probably manufacture uh, them for you but i guess for those people who just want to upgrade their machine the market is basically just not not big enough and who else besides some um, bigger professional printer manufacturers is still using three millimeter filament it's ultimaker it's it's decent for the load spot it's you can choose you can choose now yeah. you can choose between 1.75 and 3 and then you have i don't know big rep or and true but that's like super specialty stuff no. um so yeah i mean right now for for bcn 3d e3d are manufacturing the hollands um, but it's basically a slightly modified V6 design. Um, and that sort of stuff, I think, is still going to be around. So if if manufacturers need a 3mm design and need E3D to make it, they still have the V6. And that's also for like the consumer-facing stuff. V6 is not going away. Um, but Revo is going to be an alternative to V6. And if you if you want to buy a genuine E3D hardened, you can either get a V6 or you can get a Revo, Revo hardened for the time mm. being. Yeah. The question is, at a price which is, I don't know, they all, uh, they always said uh, it's just a little bit more expensive. Uh, I think it's almost like twice the price. They're so, aiming towards a hundred pounds and i guess true but a hundred so the the official price that has been released is um roughly a hundred pounds with a full set of nozzles with a full set of nozzles yeah okay so i don't know how much of this is is intended for the public yet but yes it is going to be more expensive but a basic revo is not going to be crazy more expensive than than a v6 but even like a pre-assembled V6 direct drive hot end is 50 pounds. 
with one which, nozzle which honestly i think is a is a really competitive and fair price for for a v6 yeah. um i th- so i i've i've and for the longest time i've not bought stuff i've not bought a, a v6 from from e3d i've never needed a new one and when i needed stuff i, I just ask him hey can you I need like this specialty assortment of parts. Can you can you like check if you still have any of those? Um, but I would have guessed the V6 w- would have been more expensive. I, I I think I still remember it being like sixty bucks or something. And then I checked how much nozzles are, and V6 nozzles are four pounds twenty, um, just to stand a point four, which I think is is really good um, compared to like uh, no name questionable quality ones. Um, mm-hmm. Which of course are much less expensive, but for four pounds twenty, which how much is it? Like three euros right now? Um, no, f- rather five. And then you also okay, have maybe, to maybe, uh, maybe include in a month the value tax. So it's six bucks. Uh, yeah. I I recently bought a couple of E3D nozzles from I think 3D Jack, and they were seven or eight euros a piece. Okay, well that's with the that's with a resale in between. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, the. I think I think the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle to uh, Revo pricing and like framing Revo pricing is that it's going to get compared to V6, which is obviously a system where all the engineering effort has been paid off, um, and where they have like to the T figured out how to manufacture the thing as cheaply and as efficiently and as consistently as possible. So they mm-hmm. have. Um, low rejection rates they have all their their machining um their their cam figured out to where they can crank these things out um mm. like a madman and still make good quality so of course with revo still being so new um i don't know if pricing is going to be the same in i don't know half a year or a year um as it is right now but as it stands it is going to be i don't know how much of the exact pricing i can reveal but um it's it's well, on their it's website still... they're saying on their website they're saying yeah. it's a hundred pounds so 120 us dollars for enough <laughs> exactly for the for the set with uh with all the nozzles with four nozzles exactly yeah yeah so it's not it's not in different in a different league as v6 mm-hmm. um i think that the prices that i've heard they're still they still sound reasonable to me um mm. But yeah. Well, in comparison to, for example, um, a mosquito hot end. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it is. It is definitely compatible because a mosquito hot end with thermistor heater, a thermistor and uh, and a heater and just one nozzle sets you back almost two hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. So in the grand scheme of things, I think it is it is still very reasonably priced. Of yeah. course, you have that 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 big looming. It's now a proprietary system. Um, mm. Yeah, that is that more so than pricing would be a a thing that needs to be answered for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but what do you think? Who who needs a Revo system, or for whom would you recommend buy a Revo spend more money in comparison to a, a normal V6? Is it, is, is, is this something where you say, okay, it's so nice of having a more robust system, uh, being able to swap the nozzles more easily and stuff like that, that it's worth the price tag? Or would you say 
to somebody who is basically never changing a nozzle, stay with the V6. That's all you ever need. So the the Revo is supposed to be a system that performs slightly better than um, than V6, um, and it's not that much more expensive. So just if you if you if you first of all if you just need one nozzle and you're not somebody who clocks their nozzles constantly um mm. that's actually so sanjay asked me hey when do you think on on the entire topic of of uh component pricing like when do you swap nozzles and i was like okay um i swap nozzles when i want to use a different size or when i've worn through or damaged one and sanjay was like oh that's interesting because most people actually swap the nozzles when they've clocked them um, so that might be a, that might be a beginner thing, or just not knowing how to take care of your filament and using using it wrong. Um, so if you're somebody who actually destroys nozzles by clogging them, then you know going with standard V6 might be cheaper in the long run. Um, but if you if you if you take care of your printers and if you use them in a way where the stuff lasts. Um, then I think just for the extra performance you're getting with Revo, like again, it's mm. not it's not going to be that much better, um, but just for for the extra performance that you're getting with Revo, it's it's already worth it. And then of course the the other thing is you can swap nozzles. Nozzle swapping is something that in a V6 ish ecosystem is not something that you really do. Like with me, I, I usually. I, I have one printer that has one nozzle size, and of course, I have plenty of printers that I can choose between. Um, but I don't, I don't swap in a, a different nozzle just for like one print because it might save me an hour or two on on a print. Mm. I usually just I, I leave the point four nozzle in there as long as as I can, and um, I just use that. And of course, yeah, the print takes a bit longer, whatever. But with Revo, um, you can now do that. You can set up your different slicing profiles. And say, okay, this is the point six, this is the point four, this is the point two five, and you can choose for each individual print which nozzle you want to use, mm. um, because the nozzle swap is first of all you're not burning your fingers, you don't have to preheat the printer, and the changing process itself is way quicker, and there's way less than that can go wrong because it's just hand tightening the stuff, um, and you don't need to re level or um, readjust the distance of the nozzle to the bed. And I think this is, True. this might actually be one of the biggest reasons for me that I also don't really do it that regularly. You shouldn't, I mean, if you have, if you have E3D nozzles, you shouldn't need to re-level yeah. with V6 either. But yeah. of course you have that, you have that mating surface between the, mm. uh, between the heat break and the nozzle and you might mm. get some stuff in there and I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, so. I, I don't know how much that that extra feature of being able to swap mm. nozzles for every single print and just to do it quickly, how much that mm. would be worth to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've I've not used it yet. I've not I've not felt Revo. Um, mm. I've seen it in in videos and stuff, but I've not held it in my hands, which actually puts me behind like a couple hundred beta testers who have tested yeah. Revo already <laughs> and who are now publishing reviews on beta hardware, which. Is something that I've decided never to do, but okay, to each show. But yeah, it, I, I, I've got to, I've got to try it out, and I've got to hold it in my hands to mm. to, get, to get a feel for it. Yeah. Um, the the new heater core, of course, is is 
is better like that's objectively better than the old aluminum block and uh, assembly that they've had with v6 that ceramic heater a lot cleaner a lot nicer yes a lot cleaner and a lot nicer uh definitely um the thing that i find really important is that the possibility of ripping off heater and thermistor wires is way smaller yes they say i don't know if that's really the case i have had a blob of death around my uh e3d v6 heater blocks plenty of times most of the times i was able to to get the plastic off without ever damaging something but i have changed a bunch of thermistors over the years on for example my prusa printers just because if you just brush them clean with a with a brass uh brass brush brush, wire brush uh sometimes you, uh, you you slip off and then you rip something and this is i think one of the really big and nice things which makes it safer and which makes it more reliable and just way easier to use the old stiff wires from the heater were always a pain the old really flimsy and easily breaking off wires from the thermistors were always a pain before before the cartridge thermistor well even with the cartridge thermistors and and i do have the feeling that also the cartridge thermistors went through one or the other iteration but oh, for sure i i had cartridge thermistors that were just horrible and with flimsy wires and then i had other ones that worked really well and then you always had the problem that when you were tightening the thermistor with the small grub screw that you could damage the ceramic in the in the thermistor right, cartridge and right. then everything's just crumbling out and all of that pain so yeah that um, is that is all now pre-assembled in one unit and no. yeah ripping wires off is going to be an absolute non-problem there is a um, reinforcement bit in there um, that ties the wires to the actual heater core so if you if you were to like physically rip off the wires you would rip off um, that reinforcement piece too mm-hmm. so uh yeah you 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 can't rip it out of the thermistor mm-hmm. you would have to rip the wires it's, uh, themselves yeah and i don't think that's that's really going to happen yeah the thing they were also bragging about are the um shorter heat up times and i i totally get that the thermal mass is definitely smaller but the thing is the thermistor is now basically at like the heating unit and and way further away from the nozzle so I think the readings that you have with the thermistor now are lagging quite a bit behind the nozzle just because the distance is way bigger. And I don't know, I'm not sure if that causes a problem during printing, but um, I think that's a bit, I don't know, nuts. I wouldn't say false advertising, but uh, I, as I said, misleading advertising. Um, and there is a reason why in the past they put their thermistor always on the other side as as the heater cartridge. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing is, so that the thermistor in the Revo heater core is quite close to the ceramic heater, um, whereas on the on the V six there was at least some aluminum between. So when when mm-hmm. people are saying, "Hey, we've got heat up times of like eight seconds," 
yeah, like you said, I don't think that's going to be at the nozzle tip. I think mm-hmm. that is just going to be the thermistor because there is, yeah, there is less thermal mass, but there's not that there, there's not like one tenth of this thermal mass. Um, it's still yeah. quite quite a significant amount there. And of course, it's now all brass. Um, so the heater core and the inside is brass as well. Um, there's no aluminum anymore, so thermal conductivity is going to be down a bit from using aluminum, uh, at least for the uh, for the heater block. Mm. Yeah. Um, as I said, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be a problem in the end. I, I guess it's it's rather a a nice feature to have because you don't have to wait because usually the printers wait until the nozzle is hot and then start homing and until right. they start printing another just minute passes so that just speeds up everything um and until you have like printed your purge line and, and stuff like that things should be normalized um but the question is due to the distance of the uh, thermistor to the nozzle is that bad for like i don't know the performance when you're printing very fast or yeah just dynamic performance when when you're soaking up when you're yeah. soaking up um heat energy with the filament i mean the the amount of energy that that actually goes into the filament is not that significant but it is a significant amount of the energy that that's going into the hot end um, a lot of a lot of it is just um, dissipated through the heat break um mm. but the yeah, the the fact that he's soaking out energy from the nozzle and the thermistor is now coupled to the heater more closely, mm. it might make it more slow. It, may, it might make it slower to react to those dynamic loads. Mm. We'll see. Um, once I get my hands on one, I'll, I'll definitely hook up a, um, a thermocouple to it and just run it through some tests uh, and compare it to classic V6. Or thermal camera. I'm also I mean. really looking forward to, but I, 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 at least I don't have any information yet when and if I'm, I'll be, be getting one of the units. Um, the, I think the Revo is due to be released at the end of this year. I think they are starting with, with pre-orders in November. I think the, the website states. So there will be still a bit, bit of time until like normal users can purchase it um which might also give us some time to um create reviews uh, for for the release date but yeah yeah, um, would have been nice if if so that's of course here goes the tangent um with this stuff being released like revo um what i would really prefer companies doing is reaching out to like key online what's it called key online leaders kol influencers uh, opinion key online key, key, key opinion, opinion leaders, leaders reviewers um, influencer influencers yes um trusted people who do reviews and and try to do like journalism as much as they can in the within the constraints of the platform that they're doing uh, they're 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 serving um and just doing the classic embargo thing. Um, it's been something that uh, phone manufacturers have been doing for the longest time. Anything that's like consumer electronics where it's like, okay, um, here we communicate with you. We're going to release this new product at, I don't know, uh, November 2021 on November 21st. Uh, we're going to release it and we're going to announce it then and people will be able to buy it then. Um, 
And on that day, you can release your review or, uh, I don't know, 24 hours after the, re the release or something. Um, and then they provide the finished product to reviewers before that so that they have plenty of time to review it um, and then have a nice review that like wasn't rushed that wasn't like mm. done as quickly as possible just to be like the first one out the door um that they have that opportunity to do that with i don't know with with like beta reviews being out there and with i don't know there there might be an embargo or not um with the early review units that they may or may not ship out it it, it feels a bit chaotic and you you do run into that risk of people rushing a review out the door, not doing it properly, um, just trying to be the first ones, and it just being bad reviews in the end. So having a bit of extra time, having a bit of of of, of time to plan for these things, um, because a good review takes time, especially with three D printing, where you. you you literally have a process that you're you're inspecting. You have a process of the printer doing its thing, mm -hmm. and you have to wait for that. Um, it it is it would be nice if um, like embargoes and just release planning um, by the manufacturers would be a bit more widely adopted. Mm -hmm. Just a bit of attention there. Yeah. Um. May maybe as a summary or not as a summary um i'm really looking forward to because i tend to swap nozzles quite regularly i'm i'm currently again upset because i have ruined like my fifth heater block uh and the threads of the aluminum block sheared out again and just having the ease of switching nozzles way more easily don't I don't need to be afraid that much anymore that I rip the wires. Also, I think the more compact size makes some uh, really cool uh, cooling solutions now possible. And uh, nozzle cam, for example, might work way better with just like the the smaller heater block or heater core. So I'm looking forward to... Um, I am a bit upset that it's currently takes away the possibility to use it for testing third-party nozzles but yeah. maybe there is a solution to that in the future oh maybe it's just there's no third-party nozzles anymore that might be a sad that would be a sad world but you never know i've i actually so i've, I've thought about doing like a revo adapter myself if there's not enough meat there um, just chuck it in a lathe, turn off the mm. original nozzle and braze uh, another slug of uh, brass onto mm. it and just thread that. I mean, yeah, would be an option, right? Would be an option. Um, maybe, as I said, I, I, well, that would make it, make it longer if you would True. add just a smaller thread to, um, to a nozzle. Yeah, then, of course. then you have to turn down every nozzle you, you test. You have to to take off the original M6 <laughs> thread and turn onto, uh, turn turn a new M4 thread onto it. Yeah, like, ah. yeah. Ah. right there. Um, <sighs> it. I don't know. Shall, shall we just, I guess, shortly touch the topic of patents again and how we feel about that? Because I I think we've we've touched on that well, but 
Yeah, we. How, how long have you talked about Riva now? Half an hour? Wow. Half an hour. Um, uh, let me let me just maybe say say something at the end. I don't sure. know if if you are on uh, if you're thinking the, the same about that. I find it okay for E3D to 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 patent the Revo because I have the impression that if they would not start patenting and and making sure that they don't get cheap clones of the of their products uh, in the future that there won't be any E3D anymore in the coming future because um it doesn't make sense spending uh hundreds of thousands maybe millions of 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 bucks on on a development if just a cheap Chinese manufacturer comes along and then produces the same part that you're selling for a hundred bucks for 20 bucks, just because yeah. they don't have, they don't need the, the R and D uh, budget. Because um, E3 has I done hope, it for them. Because yeah. E3 has done it for them. And um, either, I guess there are two, two possibilities. Either there isn't that much development in the near future. If patents and, and IP and, and things like that aren't a thing. And, this is on the one hand bad for the com- consumer and also for the technology itself. Or you have the problem that, yeah, patents are there. Um, of course, current, you can, you, you can get a, a knockoff nozzle for one dollar or even more. You get a five pack for, yeah. for, for a dollar of nozzles. Um, I'm quite sure that a replacement Revo nozzle costs 20 bucks, which is, also bad for the consumer who is now upset if he or she has clocked one of these nozzles that he uh, that they have to pay that amount of money to get the printer running again um there is no perfect right or wrong there but i think it's it's necessary to go that route because otherwise i think there's no possibility that e3d can survive yeah might be totally wrong there but I mean that that That's is my take on that. that is exactly how how E3D argue for patenting their designs, um, and I can I can understand that I can totally understand the the reasoning for it. Um, what it comes down to for me is I don't think the patent system as it stands right now is built particularly well for the the reality that we have. No. Um, so the entire you know no no mandatory licensing, mm-hmm. um, twenty years of protection like that entire thing. Ah, it's not just, hmm. it's a bit, it's, it's, it's shifting, a, it's shifting power too much towards the, the patenter, um, yeah. and, and limits everyone else a bit too much. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to give E3D a, a free pass on this, um, because I've, <laughs> I've been ragging on every other manufacturer patenting stuff for the last years. Mm. Um, but I can I can understand why they do it. I can understand why others do it. I just I disagree with the with the patent system. And mm. but the, the thing is, it's it's the system that they uh, that they are forced to use more or less. Um, mm. It's yeah. Hate the don't don't hate the player. Hate the game. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand. I I hope that E3D is implementing a fair licensing system. Yeah. For, for example, third-party nozzles, um, I think they're gonna do it because they're kind of, 
I don't know, might be a necessity for, for third party nozzles for special applications, even though they also introduced their, how's it called? Their new nozzle? Ob Obsidian. Um, Obsidian nozzle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, if you're currently taking a look at the, the nozzle market, there are a thousand different manufacturers yep. claiming best wear resistance, best thermal properties and stuff like that. Um, and if you want to so, be, if you want to be the standard, if you want to be the go-to hotend, um, you have to be open for third party, yeah. um, parts to be compatible with your stuff. Um, yeah. so I guess one, one last thought, um, or one last detail on the, on the review system is, <sighs> They, they, they're still trying to like weave in, hey, E3D is still open source. And the way that E3D are still open sourcing, uh, Revo is anyone else can make a code side to Revo. Um, so basically the M, I think it's an M4 thread up top. Um, M4 thread, the flat that mm -hmm. is open source. So you can get the drawing for how long that thread should be and you can make your own heatsink for it. So you can make uh, extruders that can take the Revo hot mm -hmm. side. Um, but that, honestly, that's not much of a of an open source effort there. Yeah. True. Right. So what I what I put into the show notes here, uh, threaded inserts, when, when you said, hey, you stripped your, uh, your heater block, I, I, I immediately thought, hey, why not put a threaded insert into that? But the threaded inserts that you now have, they're not made for aluminum. They're made for plastic, right? Go ahead. Pl yeah, pl they're made. Pl plug your inserts. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My, my 3D, uh, my, my threaded inserts that I'm now selling on uh, Amazon and hopefully either in my own shop or with a couple of other resellers. Unfortunately, currently only available in the EU. Uh, they are only for plastic yeah not for aluminum yes. there could be other solutions but well, well I, I guess yeah. it depends how hard you heat them up right <laughs> uh, i i wouldn't be sure if that if that works out yeah <laughs> no only, only yeah so to find out <laughs> on yeah we, we need to try that uh i need to compare the melting points of aluminum and and, and brass but the the, <laughs> the problem with with metal alloys is that they don't get swish, squishy before they fall right. apart they during just, melting they just this flow away yeah. yeah also one of the reasons why you can't simply just put like uh solder into your extruder and uh print with it well it depends because on, on it which solder you use there, there are some uh, that that do go goopy yeah but yeah but yeah, Stefan has um, his own threaded inserts now. Um, so CNC kitchen brand threaded inserts, heat set inserts. Um, I, ah, I've got the bag upstairs. Um, you, you gave me some when you were here. Um, it is the double herringbone or the single herringbone style that grip really well into plastic. And they're available in quarter inch, uh, quarter 20 thread, which is the standard camera thread uh, for tripods, as well as M3 up to M... Five. M5. Okay. So that the smaller sizes. And yeah, there are CNC kitchen branded inserts. Um, Stefan has an eye on, on quality control there. And yeah. Yeah, they are available on Amazon the and they're, they're good quality inserts. Yeah. So of course we are not the first ones to sell threaded inserts. They are also not like a special shape they are basically they they do have they are catalog parts they're they do have the same shape as as the other ones that work really well 
Um, but it was kind of a, a logical step for us to just, yeah, broaden like how we can, can support the channel and, and everything and threaded inserts have been becoming more and more popular over the years. I am quite sure that I might also have been a, a part of that becoming popular movement. So, I mean, smart uh, moves yeah, make, make it popular and then sell your own. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I should have sold them just like right from the beginning. Um, right. but yeah, that didn't happen. We, we took quite, it took us quite a while to find a, a manufacturer or supplier who, uh, was able to produce them at the quality we wanted them to have. Uh, we researched what sizes are popular. Um, so what we, for example, have, you just said it is, uh, the camera thread insert because I always had the problem that if I made adapters or something which should be compatible to, to a tripod or something like that, yes, of course, you, you, you can 3D print a quarter inch thread and that works kind of well. But yeah, as nah. soon as something a bit more heavy uh, gets on it, it just doesn't hold anymore. And getting um, quarter inch nuts in Germany or probably oh, all God. in Europe is... Nope. basically impossible nope. well it, it, it is possible but they're crazy expensive yeah so um i thought it was quite a good move to have yeah quarter inch inserts and the other thing which i find really helpful um we also have basically half length uh, threaded inserts um so the other ones yeah. are usually the length is basically two times the thread diameter um they work for many parts, but sometimes if you have just a small enclosure or something like that, uh, and you have a really thin wall thickness, it might be good to have just a, a shorter insert. So we have short versions of the insert and longer versions of the insert. And yeah, M3 to M5 at the moment, if there is demand for, many have asked me for M2.5 and M2 right. inserts. Do, do uh, they which, make M2 ones? I mean, yes, they, they surely they, must. I, I think I've seen them in, in like laptops and stuff. Well, now yeah. that, that laptops are all aluminum chassis, but back yeah. when they were still plastic <laughs> chassis. No. Yeah. And if there's enough demand, we might also make uh, those ones available. As I said, they are not like special in terms of a new shape, but we try to make sure that yeah. quality is okay, uh, that the price is competitive, and it just helps us out in like having an additional revenue stream yeah. yeah we'll see we'll see and and like first product yeah like like he also said the so reason ah, <laughs> go, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead okay. and also the reason why 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 i uh why i trademarked my uh company or youtube yeah. channel name yeah yeah so he, he keeps saying hey they're not they're nothing special and that might be true that might be true that they're catalog parts but it is you are putting your name on that you're putting your name behind the product you're making sure they're yep. they're, they're consistent quality when somebody buys a cnc kitchen um product be it a threaded insert or whatever else you're going to be making in the future um you will have made sure that they are up to a standard that you would want to use personally as well and that is exactly. that is the value add that you get with um yep. with that all right, so check them out below. Links are obviously in the um, show notes or in the video description on YouTube. Yep. Then I wonder if, if Prusa... Does Prusa use threaded inserts? Um, they, 
No, I, they only use their like square uh, the, the nuts. square nuts. Yeah, uh, I upgraded the upgraded the the SL one S um, two days ago on Sunday, and yeah. oh god, what a what a finicky assembly! Uh, <laughs> I uh, have I have quick I have quickly uh, uh, joined your stream. I guess right at the beginning, and just the next morning, I saw that it took you like four hours. Yeah, do, well, uh, I'm, I, I was chatting with uh, with people in chat a lot too, of course, but. The SL1S, I, I did build that printer from from the kit. Um, I don't know if they even still make the kit. But even back then, it was pretty clear that that is not a printer that was designed to be built by you. I think that very much that <laughs> is designed to be built in a factory where everything's like neatly laid out and you have good lighting and, and all that. And it's, it is a very... I, I keep looking at it. It's, it's sitting over there. Um, it is a very tight and and like... It, it doesn't have like a lot of space on the on the bottom compartment and you need to reach through like the entire thing to to thread in a little screw all the way at the bottom you have to to, to reach through the screen hole um it is a very very tight machine and yeah they are using those square nuts still um very so it's it's pretty clear that the SO1 was never designed to be upgradable. It was never designed to be uh, worked on by anyone, except if you really had to because you're replacing something. But yeah. the the way that the SL1S upgrade like attaches to the original parts in the SL1, so some solutions are are very borderline. Um, the way mm-hmm. that that they're doing some connectors and then holding like adapter boards on the connector in place, and you can you can like see the connector like slightly squishing. Um, <laughs> you've you've got uh, you've got so many so many parts that are incompatible with the original um, SO1. You're you're throwing out the screen, of course, because it's now a monoscreen. You're throwing out the LED. Yeah. You're throwing out the VAT, which is a really nice solid slab of aluminum in the original SL1 and you just you just chucked it because it is slightly too small okay yeah. um, you get a new build plate you get a new fan that now doesn't cool the LCD screen anymore but adds more cooling to the LED uh, assembly it's just and then ah yeah because the because it uses that that cool capacitive resin level sensor so it mm-hmm. it uses the the build plate and the rest of the frame as a no it uses the the build plate it uses the screen VAT assembly um, that is like one pole of the capacitor, one plate of the capacitor, and then the build plate as the other plate, and it measures like what the capacity is between those two. And because they're now not using that aluminum resin VAT anymore, they're using a plastic one, the capacity has changed. So the, the cable that connects the screen and the VAT electrically uh, to that sensor now has a, has a little tiny... 220 uh what was it yeah 220 nanofarad capacitor in the cable in heat shrink lights it's mm, (laughs) it's just such a janky solution yeah it works Mm. but it's not something i hope they're building the um the new sl1s that you buy from the factory i hope they're building Mm. those differently but like mm. I, I would have expected cleaner solutions from Prusa, though, to be honest, like I, I don't think they had much of a choice for making this upgrade happen at all because resin hardware is, is a lot more proprietary and, and mm. specialized um, mm. than just a, a like an M- Mark III to MK3S uh, upgrade. So Yeah. And, well, it's it comes with a pretty hefty price tag, 400 bucks 
for just like the upgrade uh, that gets you a new Baligu Mars. Well, plus you, you still need to factor in like Shito subscriptions and that sort of stuff. So <laughs> like, mm, not it's not quite a free. not quite a, a fair uh, comparison. Yeah, um, don't, don't, don't want to. No, the the question is, um, do you think the the upgrade is, I guess, worth the price and worth worth the um, the effort you need to go through, and is it something you would recommend to? Any SL1 owner? It it depends. So I probably I probably wouldn't say every SL1 owner needs to upgrade it. But you know, given the fact that the SL1s is a two thousand euro machine and the upgrade is four hundred, mm. I think you're getting you're getting a really good deal because you are getting oh. most of the SL1s hardware in that upgrade kit. Mm. Which then again, of course, begs the question: like, is the rest of the SL1 hardware really worth sixteen hundred bucks? Um, but that's a different topic. So you are getting a screen, you're getting a whole new LCD, you're getting a new power supply, you're getting a new um, VAT, and you're getting a new build plate. Um, and I would say if you're at the point with your SL1 and you've worn through the LCD screen and you would need to replace that, mm. I think don't don't get the new screen. The new screen is, I don't know, 80 bucks, mm. 100 bucks. It's pretty okay. expensive. Just get the upgrade kit because that does include a new screen. Um and if you are using your SL1 a lot and you're waiting for prints, um, mm-hmm. that, that is the biggest upgrade because print speed is like tripled. Um, okay. but if you're happy with the SL1 as is, and it is, where's that print? I've just had it. It's behind me. If you are happy with the way that the, um, that the SL1 prints, like mm-hmm. it's still, it is still um, a really good SLA printer. It's just mm-hmm. not as fast as, as it could be with the SL1S upgrade. Yeah. Like if you're using it a lot, then the print speed is worth it. But otherwise, if you're happy with the SL1, you stick mm-hmm. with the SL1. Honestly, it's still, it's still a great printer. You do get a slightly larger build volume too, build mm-hmm. area too. It's, I, I think it's like a centimeter wider. Okay. Um, but Is yeah. the monochromatic display going to wear out slower than the old ones? So in theory, if you keep the LED power the same, it should wear out much slower than the um, than the RGB versions because it, it, there is okay. less heat buildup in the screen, and mm-hmm. they have also removed the fan that would that there was co- cooling the old RGB screen. Mm-hmm. Though with the with that removal of the of the fan, you are now not cooling the screen as well as as well anymore or at all. And they have also, I think, like quadrupled the LED power from the from just the UV LEDs. Um, <laughs> so I think that basically makes up that that uh, advantage that the monochromatic screen would have as far as like energy absorbed. Mm. And you are now probably seeing like roughly uh, roughly equivalent amounts of energy that gets absorbed in that screen. So I I don't think the monochromatic screen is something that would last long in the SL1s. Um, okay. Though and what is, I don't know, there, there might be some extra special magic in, in that screen that it might be like a semi-custom one that is built specifically for that. I don't know. Okay. Uh, how long is usually the lifetime of one of these LCD panels? Hmm. Is it like in the hundreds of hours or thousands of hours? Yeah, some somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, I so let me see if there is okay so old sl1 had 500 hours i believe um that was like what that it was rated for or guaranteed for um though like 
if you look at the Mars printers, the reported lifetimes are between 200 and over 2,000 hours, somewhere in that <laughs> neighborhood. Um, because they, they don't like they don't wear down evenly. Um, and I'm trying to find the estimated or, or guaranteed lifetime of the screen for the SL1S for the new monochromatic screen. Screen, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and they're saying 2,000 hours. So they're giving mm-hmm. a warranty of 2,000 hours on the new monochromatic okay. screen. So should be should be a lot better, though they may also have like downrated the the RGB screen on the old SL1 quite a bit with, the, okay. with those 500 hours, and it might have lasted longer. I don't know. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. L- let's let's maybe stay on the Prusa topic. Yes. Talk about Prusa Professional or ah. the future of manufacturing by Prusa Research. Yeah. So Prusa is in Dubai right now. Um, well, I I don't know if, if he's if he's made it back, but the Prusa team is at the Dubai Expo 2020, which is happening in 2021 because it's been postponed. Um. They are showing a print farm with, uh, well, the, I don't want to say a print farm because what they, what, when I say print farm, you imagine like the, the Prusa setup in Prague where they're making all the plastic parts for the Mark threes. Um, but they actually have a like half container sized, um, printer farm box with 34 printers integrated into one frame and i believe there is a yeah there is an automatic collecting system Mm. um, built into that as well where you don't even have to like manually um reset the machines and and harvest your parts that happens automatically so pretty interesting it's core xy it is not prusa excels but it is, it is um, not Prusa Mark IV. Yeah, it is not. The, it is not an i3 Mark IV. It's not even an i3 um, frame design. Yeah, but yeah, it looks a lot like the Voron II. Like, yeah. let's be honest, it looks well. I don't know Voron II or Switchwire, or which because it does have the moving bed. Um, the bed does move yeah. on like two rails on each side. Uh, the bed does move up and down, and the X Y axis is. But to be honest, there aren't that many ways to build a core X Y, so. It kind yeah. of necessarily looks like a Voron. Um, it, it does look like a Voron, I think, due to the fact that it's all black with orange and the Vorons are red, uh, and that they are also, I think, employing a direct extruder, it, which is yes. something that you don't see that much on Core XY printers. And I find it pretty interesting. It's 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 really nice to see, and I think also kind of logic that they're trying to get into the more professional market because um, there, I guess there is the necessity for print forms. Uh, and of course you could do those print forms with, uh, yeah, Mark threes or, or with Prusa minis. But um, if you really want to go big, like an auto, an automated print plate, removal system and also uh the print management software i think is also a really really um interesting and and important thing for for such an application where you could get your return on investment quite a bit faster of course people could argue that um at a price tag of what are they aiming at three thousand bucks oh it's it's way more expensive than just 
buying Mark what, 3s three, and maybe 3, the print bucks volume. For, for what? For per machine? Per machine. Because 3,000 bucks for like the 34 printers would be amazing. <laughs> no, 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 no. 3,000 bucks per printer, well, at a... Plus depending on the okay. yeah on on the size of um, of print farm you're you're taking a look at but three thousand bucks yeah so it's, it's okay it's basically it's basically for for what you're seeing with those thirty four printers uh, it's a uh, hundred grand which yeah. is I mean yeah it's expensive but if you're talking industrial like that's nothing that is absolutely nothing on a if if you're like an actual professional user. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you consider that that this thing probably don't needs a lot of maintenance and doesn't need a babysitter for sure um mm-hmm. whereas if you have i don't know a set of ultimakers or a set of mark 3s or something which mm-hmm. might come in cheaper as the initial investment but you need somebody to be there 24/7 basically for the machine park for the for the print farm to keep operating um servicing printers swapping out parts mm-hmm. filament i don't know how they're handling that um, whether they've just got 34 or 5 kilogram spools in the back and like a pre-feeder it, or something. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, the fact that, that you have mm. that automatic um, print removal mm. system is really mm. good. Really good. It, yeah, I, I guess also the like the implementation into this custom rack system where the aluminum um, extrusions also makes it really interesting. Um well, of course, it only does it make look a bit more tidy. You could also just place them on racks or something like that. Sure. But, but I guess with um, the with the automated um, removal yep. system, so that I the way I imagine it works is mm. it's it's working in that airspace between. The, mm. Right now at the Dubai Expo, they have like a glass um, panel in front between that glass panel and the printer itself, and you have like an X Y motion system that you know grabs the beds from each printer um yeah so what what it's doing at the dubai expo right now is they've got it integrated into like an art installation i guess they're calling it um where you have a touchscreen interface up front and you can actually walk up to the to the uh, to the print farm and you can create a snowflake um i guess it's like a parametric design thing that you can play around with some sliders um, but you can create your own unique slow. F- you can be your own unique snowflake. Uh, create your own snowflake, and it gets printed, and you can pick it up. I don't know an hour later, and assemble it into an art install on site, where mm. you can place your unique generated physical snowflake into um, that sculpture that's being built on site. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty cool demo, right? Yeah. Nice. I honestly was a bit upset that no mark 4 or prusa xl was announced um i hope this doesn't delay those developments by i don't know years <laughs> you know honestly I, uh, I think this is just a very logical thing for prusa to do and not one that necessarily takes all that much development effort yeah the the, the auto unloading and, and and tool plate swapping yeah that that's a that's something to figure out but hey i did it in a week so like why couldn't prusa do it um <laughs> And considering that this is a this is not Prusa XL, but it is surely a relative of Prusa XL. Uh, it is mm-hmm. very, probably very closely related to Prusa XL. Um, and they already have the print farm management software that they're using on their own farm. I think mm-hmm. I think for them it, it was mostly just 
plugging stuff together that they already have and, yeah. and making sure it works in this new configuration. I don't think this was a, a super massive, oh, we're starting something new from, from, the, from the bottom. They had all the components figured out already and they're just mm -hmm. putting it together. Yeah, that's the feeling. That and I just get. having something like that with the components that you probably want to use for for a new machine, also, it gives you the possibility to to to, te to test it for for like a really long amount of time. And um, Prusa has been using their Mark II, Mark III printers for for ages to produce plastic parts for their for yeah. their other machines. And this way they were able to figure out the small quirks and things that that were not working and finally resulting in a, in, a, in a better product for the consumer so having um, maybe just a small part of of what they're showing at the dubai expo in their own print printing lab or whatever uh, makes sure that the parts they want to later apply in in a mark four or just maybe also the management software that that might be compatible uh, sorry not with a mark four with an xl um, yeah. but their print management software that probably will also be be compatible to the mark four or the prusa minis um is really nice because they're not shipping like a beta unit which has only seen a couple of hours of printing and yeah, yeah. let's hope for the best absolutely um i've I really want to see what they what they do next. Um, going from like especially like the, the lower end stuff, um, high end. I'm sure, you can you can always throw more money and more effort onto something, and you make a better product. But what I think Prusa have have really been good at is just making the most out of a lower end uh, system. Mm. So uh, the Mark III was a really good printer at the time, still is. A good one but it's it's starting to lag behind i really want to see what they do with the mark IV and what yep. stuff they come up with for that yep. printer um, because yep. every printer so far has been has been doing new things that that really nobody else had done at the time and yep. and every time it's it's pushed the uh the the envelope of what was possible it's it's always pushed at and other other companies have started to pick up on it um and it made the the 3d printer market better as a whole I mean, mm. yeah. These one of yeah. my favorite inventions. Like, I don't know, I don't know if if anybody else would have ever come up with them. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see if they are sticking to their manufacturing approach and if they are continuing to print many of the parts for their upcoming machines, or if they at some point reach the well the units that they're shipping that investing in an ejection mold might be something feasible but i think they always argued against that um, because that doesn't make them that flexible anymore with like iterating on a product we will see we are seeing a, a hybrid approach i mean they've they've dabbled into um doing injection mold they've done the uh, it's over in the other room. They've done the spool holder uh, that is injection yep. molded with the two like twist parts, and I think they still mm -hmm. ship those. Um, and on the SO one, I've actually been been observing like what parts they print and which they don't. And of course, some parts mm -hmm. like uh, the the crazy and stupid um, fan rerouting shroud <laughs> that he literally <laughs> cannot injection mold it, and he cannot manufacture that any other way unless yeah. you do like a three part assembly in the end. Um, 
they're still 3D printing that. They're still 3D printing yeah. a lot of the parts for the SO1 um, because that is a low volume product in the end. Um, but for example, the VAT, uh, the resin VAT, is injection molded mm-hmm. because, well, I guess milling it out of aluminum was kind of expensive. And you can't really 3D print that either because you need smooth surfaces for the FEP to film, uh, to, to seal up. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're, they're really choosing their battles. They're choosing which mm-hmm. parts make sense for injection molding and they're choosing which ones yeah. are still 3D printed. Even looking at the yeah. Mini. The Mini has... Yeah, the Prusa Mini. I think the front yeah. of the Prusa Mini is exactly. injection molded now. Front, front and back plate, um, those are injection molded. But then the like the end piece of the X-axis arm and I think the extruder bits still have 3D printed parts. So yeah. they're really choosing the the correct way of manufacturing parts for whichever um, part they're making. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good position to be in. Yeah. When When's actually the next big 3D printing expo? Formnext is coming up. Formnext, yeah, BCN3D just asked me about, hey, are you going to be at Formnext? Yeah. Um, but Formnext has always been a bit too industrial, too, a bit too... Yeah. Eh. Um, it has been becoming less industrial, I guess, the last two years. Uh, I'm also like, constantly thinking about if I should go there or not. Currently, I think I'll skip this year again, just still due to yeah. like pandemic reasons. Um, so TCT, of course, just happened in, in the UK, in Birmingham again. Um, and... Yeah, like looking at at what the show flow looks like makes me at least uncomfortable. And (laughs) I don't know. I I probably wouldn't be having a good time. That's that's the thing. Um, Could have gone in low risk. I mean, there's probably more risk uh, jumping out of an airplane with a with a parachute on your back. Uh, That's probably lower risk than going to a to an expo at this time. I would argue against that. N- not if people want to meet you, but <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. Does doesn't well, feel anyways, right. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. maybe well, I also decided when? spontaneously. When actually? I think when? November again. When? No. The, the the question is when is this entire thing going to be over? When, when is the point where it's like, oh sure, I'm going to go because like third uh, third vaccination. Maybe I, 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 I hope that next year is going to be way closer to normal. I already said that to you before we started recording that I have been on holiday. I have been like in other countries camping and in hotels for the last almost six weeks and nobody gave a shit about my vaccination certificate. Yeah. Besides, um, Yes, when I was in Salzburg, uh, like last weekend, they checked my vaccination certificate, but they just looked at the QR code and a name and that's it. <laughs> okay. So no, no actual um, checking. No, the, the Apple store in, in Florence checked my temperature and something we, we visited a church in Florence and they checked my, vaccination certificate really with like scanning the qr okay. code i think this was the most proper way even though they didn't check my my id next to it but anyways um so it is different than it was last year but 
I almost have the feeling that people are not taking it as seriously anymore as it as we still sometimes should do. And I don't know how how it's gonna end up after like this fall or in winter or we'll see. Yeah. And you have a you have a small child um, to yeah. yeah it's gonna be mild case at worst, but long COVID. No, it's not not really any good data on that and right now it's not looking too good on that i have grandparents um whose immunity is probably starting to to vein again and to to go down again and like uh, all a bit iffy anyways um anyways anyways what what else do we have we have oh yeah um actually let's let's skip Let's skip this one. Uh, maybe let's do it next time. The staying, staying on the topic of, of Prusa and resin and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, just a quick follow up to last time. The Mars 3 compatibility with other tools. Yeah, it really do, it doesn't work with any other tools. It literally just works with Sheet Box. Um, okay, so so you, you can go into Lichi Slicer is not working. Nope. Yeah, yeah, so Lichi Slicer has like an official compatibility uh, chart. Um, that you can look up, yeah. and it ends at the Mars Two Pro. It's just okay. It it just ends there. So Mars Three, mm. yeah. And it is it is. I I don't know how how much in the, into detail we went uh, there last time, but it is looking more and more like um, the way that the SDK is going to work um, for allowing third party slices back into the Sheet Two lockdown ecosystem is that the slicer provider is going to have to pay for that SDK license. Um, mm. That is currently how it's going to look. So probably if it's Lychee Slicer, um, I, I envision there being a uh, Sheet2 subscription tier where you pay, I don't know, you, it, Lychee Slicer has like the free tier and $2.99 a month. And then there being, I don't know, a $5.99 a month tier for... Mm. Um, for being able to print on the, on the Mars 3 and other lockdown uh, Sheet 2 printers. That's just pure speculation. I don't know about any mm. of, of, of the specific plans and terms yet, but that is what I think is the most likely way how it's going to go down. Um, okay. Which also means that slices like Prusa Slicer uh, or other like open source slicers, I'm probably never going to see uh, support for those lockdown um, printers unless it ends up being like a, I don't know, you download the slicer and then you have to buy a closed source plugin separately mm. um, to be able to allow, uh, to be able to use uh, printers like the Mars 3. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, uh, I think Elegu are getting a lot of the um, a lot of the flack for this entire thing, but the way I understand it, it is um, Elegu weren't totally on board with this uh, from the start. So the way I understand it um, is She2 Systems came out with this and basically just said, hey, by the way, your next print is going to be locked down. And like, what is Elegu going to do? Right, mm. they they don't have their own ecosystem. They don't have an alternative. Yeah. They they can use it or they can't. And they decided, hey, let's let's at least include like a one year license. And eh. yeah, I think they they got the the short end of the stick um, on that deal. 
Do you think this might give the possibility that open source either hardware or just firmware for the either the Shitu box hardware the way might exist in the future? The way it has been explained to me is it is not that hard to um, build an open source firmware for the actual controller for the MCU that's running the show on those printers. Mm -hmm. But it is quite hard to make uh, firmware for the FPGA that's driving the screens. And ah, okay. apparently that is something that is tied into the firmware. And I don't know how exactly that would mm. not be available to use with an alternative firmware. I don't know. But mm. that seems to be a problem for just replacing the firmware on those printers. Okay. Um, I know there are some alternatives uh, being developed for the, um, for the hardware in those printers. And, for example, Creality already has their own ecosystem, um, mm -hmm. uh, which is not reliant on, on, on Shitu. And, of course, Purusha is their own system. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, I don't see much of a chance of the existing Shitu-based hardware being flashed or, or jailbroken at some point mm. uh, to allow third-party slices to work with them. Okay, so, but there still might be the option to just replace the main board and use a custom firmware. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If you if you completely replace the the main board, yeah. um, but okay. I mean, with with the higher price printers like the the Mars three three hundred bucks, it might make sense. Um, mm -hmm. But if you have like a Mars one, which of mm -hmm. course with the stock firmware is locked down, but if you have a printer that's that cheap, you probably don't want to spend another 150 bucks on a, on a replacement board. Um, yeah. Just just to be able to use a, another slicer. That's probably not a, a very attractive uh, offering there. People are spending 150 bucks on printers and then invest like triple that amount on mo modding them until they properly work. Um, true, true. Well, of course, maybe the alternative is, is like, hey, you, you mod them for them to work. In, in the case of like the, the resin, the lockdown Shitu slices, you mod them until yeah. they work with a different slicer or you just pay the 170 bucks a year for Shitu Box Pro. So, I mean, true. True, that would that would. But I guess this incentive. is not so s satisfying for people uh, if if they are need to pay for the subscription service. Yeah, I don't there's, know. There's no okay. no achievement. We'll, there. we'll see. And we'll see. let's quickly touch this last topic because I think this is an absolute. <laughs> art. We we don't have an explicit flag on this podcast. Okay, this is a uh, lowly move by um, MakerBot by MakerBot Stratasys, um, they are replacing affiliate links in Thingiverse designs. So quick quick touch up on, on affiliate links. Uh, affiliate links are special tagged links that uh, somebody, we use them all the time if we, if we show a product um, that people like us or people who design stuff and publish it for free can place and say, hey, you can buy... I don't know, this threaded insert uh, on Amazon that you're going to need for this design. Yeah. And you have a tag to that link. And whoever placed that link gets a small amount of kickback um, that basically, you know, if you have a popular design, can amount to a couple of hundred bucks in, in referral fees, basically, without actually costing, without directly costing um, the person who's buying the stuff through those links anything extra. Um, so now... <laughs> Thingiverse is taking those links, they're scanning them, and 
if somebody places an affiliate link, they strip out the affiliate link code, uh, the original one, and place their own link. So now when somebody buys something through that link, it is MakerBot earning those referral fees and not the people up who, who were uploading the designs. Which yeah. is... What a... What a... Mm, I'm trying to keep this kids-friendly, but <laughs> holy crap. I... That, well, th- that's a really dick move. And the thing is, so um, I read this, uh, I guess, a couple of days or even weeks before on, 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 on Twitter, but I tried it out this morning. Um, so what Thingiverse does is, if even if you're, te- if you're using the shortened Amazon links, right. uh, where there is like not directly your affiliate code in in the link itself um they disassemble that and use um and put in like in plain text your full affiliate link so um, if you are just seeing your link on screen that you place there it looks like as if this is still your link but if you hover over it and check which url it is pointing to they only replace or they only add their affiliate code there. And this is so a really... It's, it's not just being the asshole and, and stripping creators of revenue. It's also nope. being sneaky and... Sneaky. And, and misleading. Yeah. Uh, because you're, the, the link that you see is not the link that you're actually being sent to. No. Wow. No. Wow. And... I, well, I tried to go over the terms and conditions this morning of Thingiverse. And of course, I didn't read everything, but just my rough search or using my rough search, I didn't find anything in that regard. It might be hidden in some, some like lawyer English in there that they have the right to alter your links that uh, Thingiverse is, yeah, is, is at the end the, the one who is placing the affiliate link or gets the affiliate revenue but yeah as i, as I said i i find that and not so really nice move they they have already started implementing their uh implementing ads on thingiverse thingiverse is still like yeah broken I mean, ads okay as, i can i can see that like you have to find it the website totally somehow but with ads you're not hurt you're not taking away from anyone of course you're stealing people's time by having to scroll over ads etc but yeah. you're not ripping the revenue out of out of the creator's hands directly yeah. uh, god make a bot what have you become i mean yeah is that is is this something they have become or is it just something that they're getting less good at hiding uh. I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure if like with the transition into ads on Thingiverse, uh, if, if they have, I don't know, even sold Thingiverse or if it's, if it's now just managed by somebody else, but I find that move just like really dodgy. So Look, yeah, if, if you. I've not used Philoe, uh, Philoene. Uh, I've not used Thingiverse for years to upload my own stuff. Um, I don't actually upload my stuff to Thingiverse anymore. I just upload to Prusa Printers and you imagine. Um, I don't, I don't use Thingiverse to find parts to print. And if any one of, of you guys out there is considering using Thingiverse, uh, just don't. Don't. It's just, when it works, 
it's it's okay but most of the time it doesn't work it's it's laggy it's buggy and they're doing asshole stuff like that i don't know it still says makerbot thingiverse so i would assume it is yeah. still very much um run by makerbot yeah so yeah, um, if you have your designs on Thingiverse, uh, listeners and, and viewers out there, um, and you want to use affiliate links, yeah, that, that's not working anymore. You probably have to redi redirect them using Bitly or Google or, um, oh, that, Genius that Link. That would be interesting to, I, to I try. Guess... I always do my, my links through um, uh, a redirect plugin I've, I've got on my yeah. website. So it's go.tomstudio.org slash something. Yeah. If they actually take that as well. So whether they actually look at where your link mm. finally yeah. points to. Um, yeah. Because that, that would... If, I, they, if they're disassembling the, the Amazon short links, I would assume they're yeah. also disassembling, um, you know, your... Genius your, links, for example. Yeah, Genius yeah. links or other shortened link services. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yeah that's where we are all right um shall we tackle questions yes or are you um, still i'm no i'm I'm just starting to get worn out here and a wars um let's just do this last one here okay um so the let me just um pull up ah moving around the google doc um let me just pull up a picture of the of what is being talked about here that's the video by creating 3d that you guys just heard um yeah so basically there there is that the precision machine the axis yep precision machined um Right, that's okay. It's it's that printer. Okay, I I, I the know. upside okay. down three D printer. The upside down that one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what one of the features of that printer was uh, the ninety degree hotting, and that is what is being asked about here as well by JP. By JP. <laughs> um, so he's asking for for some more input from us. Um, on that specific nozzle because it not only is so that that print is not only printing upside down but it's also taking the filament feed from the side and then internally like rerouting it 90 degrees yeah. uh, to be pushed up so that of course makes it super compact because you can have your your loops of your Bowden tube basically um, along the xy plane and you don't have it sticking down or up um, and you just save a lot of space. It's also a problem on the on the Voron, for example, um, where you have your your reverse Bowden feed, and it, yeah, it goes up into a space where the printer's over. There's no more printer left in that space mm. where you where you actually need to route um, those Bowden tubes. Or or worst of all, um, is it the Ultimaker S for the like the fully enclosed Ultimakers where they have like that that shroud over top that's like. 20 centimeters tall mm -hmm. and just clear acrylic that looks horrible yeah so of course the, the way that um credit 3d has solved this is by making a custom 90 degree hot end so are there downsides that's what what jp is asking about here anything you can think about here stefan um i guess just as as he or she also points out in the question um 
the I, I guess there are problems when you try to uh, remove the material. If you have a, a, a clog in there, there is more mold material right. that you can just, can't just, um, like, uh, pull out straight. So cold pulls are probably not, not, not possible with that yeah, design. Not going to happen. Um, and of course, the flow path since it's bent is probably not as smooth as with a straight hot end which might increase back pressure if it's a lot i don't know but that could also be a downside um so on on that regard of hey the flow path is crooked i don't think this is a problem at all because you have such low velocities um when it comes to just the the, the speed mm. of the material flowing through here and typically yeah. sharp bends like this are a problem when you have sharp uh, when you have um high velocity um like airflow in a ventilation system mm. you really don't want any bends because that that slows you down but with a low flow setup like a like a 3d printer hot and I, I don't think this is much of an issue um thinking about this actually e3d did make something like this do you remember stefan the cyclop yeah yeah so e3d actually did build something like this um the cyclops was a two in one out hot end where you have um two inputs and then a special heater block and a special nozzle um that basically you had two filament paths. They took a sharp 90 degree bend and then they went back down into a single nozzle. Mm. They did build that and it did work. Yep. So it does work. So, <laughs> it, it even increases your, your melt zone by, by quite a lot. So it might That's even, right. uh, give you way higher output rates that way. Um, probably it's not that. Not that, not that popular because with like the common style i3 designs, there isn't really the need for compactness and the straight designs works well. It's easy to manufacture. And but that in the end. Yeah. That point of being easy to manufacture, I think that is the, that is the biggest point of, of this entire thing. Um, the Revo design has been optimized to to not need or to to be easier to machine and hopefully in the long run cheaper to make because it's just it's just turned parts on a lathe yeah. um whereas v6 had all like the blocks that needed to be faced um the the nozzle the that nozzles had the yeah the the the, uh, the hex part on it and then drilled dots yeah. on the side um and revo is now all just on a lathe um, bar feed lathe basically um, you shove in material on one side it, it, it does its thing and the finished part drops out um, and with something like this you have more machining directions and you can't cost effectively manufacture this probably um, no. not as cost effectively as you could with something that is just a, um, a, a lathe part essentially but it shouldn't be that much more expensive in, in machining costs if you consider like a like we just talked about the uh, slice engineering hot ends they're like mm. 200 bucks for a for total set yeah. um <laughs> the extra cost to manufacture this would just yeah. get um blurred out in the entire cost equation yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's not that popular because there's not really the need for something like that. He had a special um, use case where this was more or less the only way to do it or a really nice way to do it. Um, but yeah, maybe this might also be a solution, a nice solution for another compact printer design. Yeah, you just need to to engineer for it, basically. Um so looking at the Voron, of course, you would need to make sure you have somewhere for that um, reverse Bowden path to go. Um, mm. Because if you just stick that hot and design into a printer that is not made for it, you're probably going to get some issue. I guess in a in like a Prusa i3 style machine, you could just have the filament path going out the back um, and just mm. bundle it up with all the wiring that's coming out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then of course, you well... I, I but guess that I, wouldn't give you like a re real huge advantage, of course. Uh, and true, you could. I mean, what what, you, what you're definitely going to get is if you have your extruder like sticking out the back, um, you can build that more compact. You need less build mm. height for the entire extruder. So I guess with mm. you, you could build it more compact. You could design a couple of features on the printer differently and you wouldn't mm. have uh, the filament spool on the top of the printer where it's mm. honestly not in the in the best position up there. Um, mm. It could have it like on the side or in the front or like next to the bed um, with a mount if you have just the reverse Bowden that, that moves all the way around the printer. Yeah. So those are options that he could do if he had that sort of a design in there. Um, it's just... It, it might be it might be a really good option. It might be a really good um, design for future printers, but of course it's not Revo compatible. So who knows if we're ever going to see it in a uh, in a commercial machine? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the end, still really a really nice design of the upset down 3D printer. Absolutely, Fan fantastic details in there. Yeah. All right. Guess that's it for today. It is. Longest episode in a while, but we had <laughs> lots to catch up on. Definitely. Next one's gonna come in uh, with a shorter pause in between <laughs> since I'm now finally back home and I, I, I currently don't have any trips planned. <laughs> Very good. All right then, Stefan, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for yours. Thank you all for listening. Uh, on YouTube or on any of your favorite uh, podcasting platforms. You can support us through Patreon, either through Stefan's or mine. Those are all linked below. Do we have, we don't have YouTube memberships on, on this channel yet, right? No, we don't, but we could activate it. We I could activate guess. them. Cool. We should do that at some point. Uh, the other option, of course, is to use affiliate links. Um, the links are going to be in the description down below to Stefan's threaded inserts, for example. Um, yeah, check this out. Um, I think I. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, we're not going to be linking to Thingiverse down there. But yeah, that's it for today. Uh, we will see you all again in a couple weeks. Yep. And that's that's uh, we, we we should script these outros. Yeah. This is awkward. Until then, <laughs> goodbye. See ya.